0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Hard Anodized Sprockets, up to 66% lighter than steel sprockets. We've made
1: a date in our calendar to talk about calendars, and nearing the end of July, we shouldn't be too far away from the shape of the 2024 MotoGP season, which will hopefully be a little bit less erratic in terms of scheduling. Welcome to the 347th Pilot Pass podcast. As regular listeners will know, this show is possible thanks to the backing of Renthal and their excellent street catalogue. Thinking of buying new bars, clip-ons, grips, chain wheels, pads, or a new chain – then Rental has all you need at Rental.com. I'm Adam Wheeler and I'm not yet tired of the annoyingly inconsistent UK weather and I'm joined by the irrepressible David Emmett and the irresistible Neil Morrison. Or I might have confused the order of those adjectives. As we're talking two extremes on the spectrum of the follically endowed, then listeners and viewers can make up their own minds. Speaking of viewership, we've been a little slack with the YouTube videos of late, but those podcasts will get uploaded soon and we want to get better with our video presence. On this week's show, we're delighted to have spoken with Dorna's Sporting Director, Carlos Espoleta, about the thought and consideration that goes into a MotoGP slate. Uh, Dave, when did you chat to Carlos and uh, isn't it quite cool that Dorna Senior Management are prepared to open up on these subjects?
2: Yes, I mean, it was fantastic to get to talk to Carlos Espoleta and it, it sort of all came together quite quickly thanks to Fran Wild so uh, thank you Fran this was at Magello, and it was literally like can you come downstairs you know I asked and then I sort of um, uh, there was it was all well we're not sure we'll have a look we'll see what happens and then it was like can you come uh, come downstairs and do it now um, so uh, yeah I sort of rushed down but um, but you see I'd, I'd always been like fascinated by the, the practical side of putting together a calendar because like everyone has their dream circuits and you know sort of like goes you know well the we, this calendar we should obviously start here and then go there, 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 and there, um, without thinking about the fact that they, you have to um, get an awful lot of crap from A to B in the time allotted um, you know the weather has to cooperate uh, the, the the there are other rival sporting events, there has to be support from the local environment, there has to be so much other stuff going on. Um, to actually make these things happen, it's such an incredible sort of like logistical tour de force, really. Um, that I was just fascinated how how it all worked, and especially with sort of new tracks. Obviously, you know, we were supposed to have Kazakhstan this year. We've got India this year. Um, we've had uh, Indonesia joining last year. Uh, Thailand has only been on the calendar for not very long. We've got all of these new tracks which want to which want to join um and what happens when they do join so it was it was just a really it, it was for me it was just curiosity like how on earth do you do that and um you know carlos was grateful was graceful enough to uh explain it in quite a lot of detail and i like i really really enjoyed the the, the interview
1: well, a few themes based around this interview. Um, firstly, where should we be watching MotoGP? Um, perhaps either for the track or the atmosphere or the cultural significance. Neil, is there is there one kind of, I mean, Jay, Dave used the term dreams, dream circuits. I mean, where would you like to see MotoGP?
3: Yeah, I guess there's like two ways to look at this question. You could look at it from a, a sort of an idealistic Uh, point of view and think of some of the great tracks that we've been to in the past that uh, we can no longer visit, probably mostly because of safety reasons. So the likes of Spa or the Salzburg Ring or the old Hockenheim um, or the old Nürburgring. I mean, those are all absolutely epically great tracks, but uh, obviously in no real fit state to host a motorcycle race currently. Um, But, you know, if you had to choose one of those, I guess... For you know, uh, kind of nostalgic purposes, you would maybe go with Spa or with um, with uh, the Salzburg Ring. But then I guess you could also look at it from a point of view of you know what sort of market does, what sort of motorcycle mad market does MotoGP need to tap into? Um, and you know, I mean, there's a, a lot of countries which have you know really high numbers of motorcycle sales uh, around the world, which we you know which we don't visit and have a race at. You know, the likes of. Um, Mexico for example I think has over a million motorcycle sales I had over a million motorcycle sales last year Um, there was talk of going to Mexico about five or six years ago which didn't actually transpire to happen I don't think there is a you know a track there that would be up to current uh standards to be fully homologated but you know that's a that's somewhere that could be of interest and then you look at southeast asia obviously places like vietnam i think over three million bikes were sold in vietnam in 2022 um you compare that to somewhere like america which is just over half a million um you know the somewhere like vietnam i think uh, is uh, is a market where MotoGP gp could really could really tap into but again i don't think there's a, a track that would be up to the kind of uh, FIM homologation standards.
1: Well, we say that, Neil, but, um, it's a, you know, we look at some of the tracks we still have. You could ho- uh, hover questions over Saxon Ring or, you know, Hareth certainly for the proximity of the walls, you know, to, to, to the asphalt. I mean, there are circuits, I think, you know, even Mugello, every, every time we go there, You know, of course, there are concerns about the crowd numbers and the feasibility of the event, but also, you know, for the last, I would say, five editions of the race, we've been asking riders whether MotoGP is too fast and it's too dangerous for this particular venue, even though it'd be a crying shame if it disappeared. So I don't know, maybe, you know, the current kind of revisionist history, if you like, for selecting circuits. I mean, for me personally, I'd love to see somewhere like Brands Hatch be on the calendar. Um, You know, somewhere like Laguna Seca, I think. At the moment, it's quite clear. If you read some of the interviews that Dan Rosalondo is giving out, that you know the UK and the US are big markets. That you know you mentioned some sales figures there now, which you know they're they're good, but uh, they're not as big as some of the Asian territories. But still, nevertheless, I think it's, it's they are wealthy markets that don't want to to tap into a motor gp so um you know let's try and try and get to some more i I also i think it's worth adding the f1 effect Uh, isn't it this year the first time ever in the history of their sport they're having three rounds in the us um is this all really just based off the success of like a netflix series it's quite staggering how um, the orientation of a sport can just spin on one particular event or opportunity
2: yeah, I mean, F1 also have the advantage that they can hold street uh, races, you know, like they, they can have a race in Miami. They can have a race in Las Vegas because, uh, you know, they can set the streets up so that if there is a crash, uh, the, the, the drivers are going to be safe and, and the car is going to protect a, a lot of the, uh, or it's going to protect the drivers from a loss of injury, and that's just not the case with a motorcycle r- r- race. So it does mean that you are you're stuck with circuits, special circuits with a lot of rough r- r- runoff, which are safe. Um, you can't just sort of like hold a race in the middle of the uh, in the m- in the middle of town like they used to. There's a lot of it. Uh, again, one of the, the most in- interesting things I thought was the, the was the political side. Um, for example spa francorchamps have been actually they were on track to try to homologate the uh, the, the the track for uh, motor gp um, they were working on it uh, we've seen uh, some endurance racing happening there as well um Unfortunately, the, uh, the uh, that was all being done under the leadership of the CEO. Um, unfortunately, the CEO was murdered by her ex-husband. And that has sort of changed the trajectory that spies on because when someone sort of. Has I mean you know they get a bee in their bonnet they get they they follow their, their, their this passion this idea of I really want to make this happen uh, and they will try you know when you're in that kind of leadership position you you are able to try to make it happen much more easily um, and I think the loss of the, uh, the 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 loss of the CEO really made a, a, a huge difference to to, to spa um, but. To come back to the racing, I mean like do you want to do you want to have great racing or do you want to have a great event that i think is another uh, uh, is another th- uh, sort of you know another question because for example Qatar we have fantastic you know it's a great layout for motorcycle racing it's a fantastic uh, we have fantastic races there we, you know you've often seen races go down to where you've had three or four people battling uh for for victory and the and the gap for victory has been quite small um and yet it's you know it's in the middle of the, de- the desert there's only sort of seven or eight thousand people who turn up you're a long way from everywhere um it happens at night so you can't see i mean it looks great on the tv and everything um but is that a great event
1: uh it happens at night day but there's still some lights on the taxi <laughs> you can see what's happening do <laughs> that's
2: a, uh, no, that, I that. mean that's a that's a very good point i hadn't considered that adam <laughs>
1: Well, about, I mean, you know, if we're being realistic, perhaps Bruno is um, a venue that should be on the MotoGP calendar. I, it never lacked public, did it? It wasn't really a problem of attendance or, well, I guess, allocation of funding and who supported it was, was the biggest uh, ender for that one. Um, the likes of Aragon, you always feel is hovering in the background as like a, a sort of shadow, a backup event. But then we know that Dorna, for some years, have already, have always wanted to cut down the amount of Spanish based. Uh, you know presence in in MotoGP.
3: Yeah and I guess you look at the calendar and you think well there's three races in Spain this year um, two races in Italy and I know those are like huge motorcycle markets probably the biggest for MotoGP in the entire world so um, you know and and the majority of of people in the series not just riders but Uh, team personnel or media personnel or whatever are sort of based there or around there. So it does make sense that we we go to races in Italy more often than than other countries. But um, yeah, I guess if you're thinking of expanding this to a a kind of a more global, or making this a kind of more global... thing then uh then yeah those would maybe be ones that you would look to you would look to cut before others
1: if we um dave you mentioned there about the political support that um you know grand prix have i think you know if we take the case of motocross mxgp recently then you know that i think in the czech republic uh the round before last the prime minister turned up um, you know, to sort of you know grace his, his uh the event with his presence. Uh in Belgium last weekend there was also a, a significant minister from from the you know, Member of Parliament um coming to check out the Belgian Grand Prix. I think that illustrates to people who don't quite understand the complex construction of making a you know a Grand Prix event or any kind of sporting event happen, um how the funding comes around. And sometimes it can take a process of years to actually get an application in place and secure that cash um, or at least the promise of the cash um, from a local council or whatever it may be a tourism board just to to make it all happen
2: yeah i mean we 've just seen this with the uh, Argentina round of world superbikes, which has been cancelled because there are uh, elections coming up it 's going to be complicated there 's going to be a change of government in San Juan, the province nearby that means that the uh, because a lot of these events are basically funded by regional governments in the hope of getting that money back uh into uh, by you know basically race fans turning up to circuits and spending their money um uh, and and clawing it back through through tax revenues but you know th- again that's just down to does a uh, uh, does a government you know, does a, a local government or a local leader believe that it's going to happen
1: you mentioned Argentina there, Dave. I mean, one thing we can talk about, guys, is if we had to speculate, um, for the demise of a circuit from, you know, the current calendar of 2024, then, you know, what event could possibly be lost, either through attendance or for kind of turbulent background problems such, such as we see in Argentina, because maybe sort of, um, Termas de Rio Hondo is, is, you know, one of those candidates.
2: Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> I actually think that Termas is fairly safe because it seems like the again the local government really uh, wants to keep the event there. Unfortunately, they don't want lots more events there because if there were a lot more events there, the, the you know the track would be in much better condition when when MotoGP turns up. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Argentina is uh, safe. You have to wonder about the Circuit of the Americas. Um, because, again, attendance is a bit sort of shaky, but it's really important to Dorna for, for, for MotoGP to be there, to be in the U.S. market. But there's, you know, I, I would love to see, um, I mean, really, MotoGP should be racing somewhere in California, because that is, and especially sort of, you know, somewhere in Northern California. Um, I'm not a particular fan of Laguna Seca. I think it's got one good corner. I know I'm sort of fairly unique like that but you know the it, it turn 1 is great um and uh the 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 corkscrew is a bit gimmicky but um uh, apart from that I would really like to see them go to road america because I think road america is a that would be a really great track for, for MotoGP. It's big and it's wide uh, and it's open uh, and it's fast. And I think that would really suit MotoGP bikes. But you know, th- again, it's um, sort of in the Midwest rather than uh, on, on the West Coast.
1: Neil, is there anywhere where you think, you know, well, we mentioned Argentina, we mentioned Qatar. Is there any way you think, well, you know, that, that looks a bit shaky perhaps?
3: Yeah, I mean, Argentina isn't one of my favourite trips of the year just because it's so far away. Uh, and it's such a mission to get there, and it's so expensive. Um, but, you know, I think it's great that the series has a, a race in South America. I think it's important that it has a race in South America. And you can see from the sort of the wealth of, of people that attend the race and stay around the, the, the track and the, the town in Termas de Rio Hondo that, you know, it's well represented um, by not just Argentinians, but people from all around South America. So that's a, that's a good thing to see. You know, Dave mentioned it earlier, Qatar, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, it's a great track. And yeah, the facilities are really good. Um, but I mean, what's the highest attendance we've ever had in Qatar? I don't think it's ever really exceeded more than ten, twelve thousand 12,000, um, fans there. And that's despite it consistently delivering top class racing, being the first race of the year. So everyone's super hyped whenever the season starts after a, a, you know two or three months off of over a preseason, um, but it just never has any kind of atmosphere never has any kind of attendance um, and when you look at some of the places that would be going recently then um, then uh, you know it sort of shines an even greater spotlight on that but we do know the reason that you know Qatar um, I think the Normally to start of the season does pay. I think Dorna quite a high fee uh, to host the first race of the year, and that is obviously um, quite handy having that kind of uh, level of income from just one race. Um, so we know why, but I think in an ideal world, a place where you have six, 000, seven thousand people showing up isn't maybe the place that you want to go to.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you contrast it with, for example, Valencia. I mean, you know, Valencia is another track which. Uh, has got one good corner which is turn 13 um, um, and yet a 100,000 people turn up every you know there, because it is it's in the bowl setting um, there isn't even that much to do outside of the outside of the track I mean apart from the fact that you're in Valencia and Valencia is a is a you know is a fantastic city and there's lots of stuff going on in Chester and all the rest of it but um, you know it, it's not a fantastic track um, uh, but they sell all of the tickets, and they can always sell out, uh, uh, sell all of the tickets there. So it's it, it's it's really different. I mean, if there's places we want to go, if you ask Giarno Zaffelli, the um, from Dromo, um, you know, what, the circuit designer, what his favourite track is, he will tell you in a heartbeat that it's Suzuka. You know, and like in everything he does when he's designing tracks, is to try to. Um, get the nature that that Suzuka feel uh, if you like into the track you know a lovely flowing track but we can't go to Suzuka because of what happened to Daijiro Kato. so it's uh, that is a that is a tragedy. I think there's been sort of rumours about World Superbikes going to Suzuka. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Whether it's just my fevered imagination after um, uh, waking up after an afternoon nap, I do not know. But um, yeah, it would be great to see some you know proper uh, you know to see MotoGP there and to see World Superbikes go there because obviously the superbikes race race there during the eight hour.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean, Dave. You're having an eight-hour race there with, you know, world championship winning names and the circuit can't be that perilous. I mean, it can't be failing that many kind of safety homologation processes you would imagine. Um, You know, we should also mention South Africa. If uh, we have, you know, a South African Grand Prix winner in the premier class, uh, you know, sort of, a good South African presence, I guess, you would imagine that there will be a turnout in this particular country. But then if we are talking about political support for an event, perhaps South Africa is one of the most volatile, uh, you know, where, you know, one government's pledge to bring more motorsport or to have more sporting occasions can swing depending on their electorate presence and results the the following yeah term.
2: and absolutely they deserve to have one let's talk i think the kyle army is, is, is the has had some uh some work done there is obviously some momentum to host a MotoGP gp round in south africa but whether it will reach sort of like sufficient to for it to be there and also it's a world championship so we should be racing uh we should be racing in africa
1: I think one other subject we could talk about is maybe the fan experience. I mean, it seems to be a very hot subject at the moment. I mean, can we agree that the paying punter perhaps needs more for his or her buck? I mean, if you look around, I think the the basic entry ticket for the Las Vegas Formula One is like $500. I mean, that's a crazy amount of money. I know we're talking about perhaps a certain type of clientele that's going to be going to that Grand Prix, but... You know, in MotoGP, for me, there are not that many events that really stand out in offering the the person who's paid to come through the door that much sort of auxiliary entertainment. I know we're going to Silverstone next, and they have a bit of a fan interaction area. There's all sorts of stuff. Even the, I believe, I think the Army put on some sort of demonstration uh, booth there where kids can go and sit in helicopters and, you know, put their head into the inside of a tank and whatever else. I mean, there's, there's things to keep you know, the public kind of occupied between sessions or if they don't want to be listening to Neil Morrison commentating on, um, you know, Moto2 FP2, uh, you know, there's other things to be getting on with. But um, I mean, that's the, you mentioned Valencia a moment ago, Dave. Valencia's convenience is, is amazing. I mean, you could even, the, the airport is next door. So you just have to travel 10 minutes down the motorway, pull off the motorway into the circuit and that's it. Find your seat, sit there all day and then go home, uh, you know, but when it comes to things to do around the track it's it's completely barren um admittedly the city center is not that far away so that's uh, another advantage but then you know the fan experience is, is quite poor i think is my yeah, point I mean, you
2: could pop you could literally pop back to the city for lunch because you know you could sort of walk out <laughs> um uh, pop to the train station get the train back to valencia have a uh, uh, have lunch and then be back in time for the start of the MotoGP race Almost. I mean, it would be a bit of a stretch, but it's it, you know it, it's not unimaginable. But um, yeah, I mean, it is funny. I mean, obviously, we've talked a lot about uh, like Lamar and Saxon Ring and Assen and the um, just the sheer quantity of stuff going on there to keep everyone uh, entertained. And it is um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just an incredible vibe there. Um, uh, but yeah how much how much does that i mean when you go to a racetrack are you going there for the race are you going there for a day out what What are you going there for
3: yeah i think you know it depends on the track's location um somewhere like cota um you know obviously you've got a great city um what 20 minutes drive away the same you could say for uh, Montmeló and barcelona you 30 minutes from the city of Barcelona. So you're maybe not looking at the event as, uh, you're not looking at things happening at the track as a a critical reason to attend because you could just nip away and be in the city, you know, the the center of a a lively, fun city where there's lots of other things going on. Um, But yeah, I think if you are somewhere like Mugello or you are somewhere like Le Mans, yes, I know Le Mans is quite close to, the, the the town of Lamont or the city of Lamont, but um, there's not a great deal going on there um yeah i think it's pretty location dependent
2: yeah i mean uh at silverstone you could pop out to toaster and have a pint in the royal oak and that would be about it really wouldn't it it's not quite the same as uh uh you know finding yourself in on what is it the, the sixth street in um uh, in austin
1: yeah, well, considering uh, Milton Keynes only thirty minutes away, Neil, I know you're a big fan of the party vibe in Milton Keynes. Uh, you know, there's, there's there's another benefit to to the British Grand Prix. There's Free.
2: the um, uh, computing museum there at um, uh, at Milton Keynes, which I highly recommend. It's really really interesting, but it's it is um uh it's not very rock and roll.
3: Yeah, and there is the uh, the EasyJet hotel, which. Uh, I once stayed in for a weekend and paid, I think, around €800 Euros, uh, for that, uh, that pleasure. Pretty much, the, uh, I guess, the, the sole reason why I've got my shit together when it rec- comes to uh, <laughs> planning in advance.
2: Oh, that and also
1: the um, airside
2: tune in Sepang.
3: Right, exactly. Let's not bring that up
1: again, yeah. <laughs> did the Easy Hotel cancel your room and then offer to put you up in another room? Or, you know, how did that work, Neil?
3: Uh, no, it was just a, a really, really underwhelming hotel, and when you're paying 200 euros plus a night, then you're expecting something for your, your buck, but uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, but you know, Milton Keynes is actually, there's other places which are, are not so bad there.
1: Well, we're going to pause for a quick break, but when we're back, we'll head straight into our interview with Carlos. Uh, Don't forget to join us then next week as well, when Steve will be bringing World Superbike Reaction from the Czech Republic, and we'll be previewing Silverstone. At last, racing is back, maybe with a British rider telling us about the experience of racing around the airfield.
0: Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week. Renthal fat bars are synonymous with off-road world champions the Renthal street fat bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28 millimeter handlebar in a range of street specific bends, whether you're looking to alter the height, width rise or sweep of your handlebar Renthal street handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the works fit handlebar comparison tool at renthal.com to find the perfect bend.
2: Hello. I am here with uh, chief sporting officer, of Dawna Carlos Espaleta. Uh, Carlos, thanks a lot for your time. Um, I want to talk about the process of a calendar because the, the MotoGP, everyone complains about, I mean, no matter what you do to the, to the MotoGP calendar, people always complain about it. But the most interesting thing to me is the constraints you are under when you are putting together a calendar. It's not just, oh, you know what? We'll go there and then we'll go there and then we'll go there. Um, I
4: wish, I wish it could be.
2: <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, first of all, how, um, how do you, Go, where do you start when, when you're putting together a calendar? I mean, like next year or the year after, where, where do you start and, and what? Okay.
4: Now, now is actually a good time of the year to be asking that question yeah. uh, because I've, I've started drawing for, for, for a couple of months now. Um, as you can imagine, there's the number one question is what's going to be on the calendar. Um, and that's not always clear when we'd like it to be clear, uh, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably step one and, and you were asking before how long that process typically takes and it's and, and it varies um you know there's there's some conversations with a with a country with a promoter with a, with a government and, or, or a circuit that start and the race comes into the calendar the year after that um and then some that takes you know five years four years uh so, so it changes quite a bit um specifically also on the construction of the circuit and is uh remodeling or a circuit that you know already exists and needs to be slightly changed or building and designing uh one from scratch which which happens also and this job is getting more and more complicated now with you know the huge uh safety standards that that MotoGP has
2: yeah because you can't just sort of look at a track and think oh we'd really like to go I mean like everyone wants to go back to Spa-Francorchamps, but you can't just go back to spa because of all of the work that it needs to make it safe
4: yes correct and um you know there's specifically, you know, during the COVID years, um, you know, th- let's say in, in many things we're, we're we're very fortunate in this sport, and but one of them is not is not that, and you know, looking at where we could race that, very quickly realize that out of the circuits that we could race at, we would probably race in all of them, but two or three in the world already, because all the rest are probably not valid for MotoGP in, in their current state. Um, so yes, that's that 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 is um, the the number one let's say thing homologation um, is a must for for the circuit. Um, so yes, I n- hopefully, normally during halfway through the summer, uh, you you start to get a clear idea of what's going to be in the circuit uh, on the calendar next year. Um, I think it's also interesting to explain that we have um, a limitation of twenty two events um, in our current contract with IRTA and the teams, um, and not that we'd want to go over that because it's probably on, on the limit already. Um, so so yeah, that's that's and and that's. A new let's say that's a new limitation to, the, to, to to designing the calendar because before you could slot in something that wasn't necessarily taking something out, and now that's going to start to happen uh, fairly soon where if you bring something into the calendar, you're probably going to have to take something out.
2: Yeah, that process of taking something out. How how do you approach? That? Is it? I mean, obviously, the, the obvious answer is uh, Spain and the Iberian Peninsula. There are so many races there, it, but the trouble is that you have the audience there and the tracks there.
4: Um, well, the, the obvious question. Um, well, one is our legal and binding agreements, of course. Yeah, minor detail. minor um, detail. And and we do have that Joker car- card to play in the Iberian Peninsula because of the five circuits uh, in Spain and Portugal we have the right to rotate. So we have contractually we have we must be in them three out of these five year terms, five year terms starting last year in twenty two, all the way to twenty six. So that's where we do have some leverage, um, which which we're grateful for because, you know, we we talk to a lot of countries, but you know, how fast those moves and you know, there's all of a sudden there's an election and change in government and you have to start all over and the circuit changes and you know, so you know, these processes take a, a very long time you know we, we raced in indonesia last year for the first time and that conversation started in 2018 maybe so um you know it, it, the process does does take quite a long time
2: because also in terms of funding infrastructure other problem or other issues that has a real effect on whether a race can happen or not because you need the infrastructure to be in place and that needs political support from authorities, people have to want to host the race. It's not just a question of the circuit decides. Yes, let's have a race.
4: Yeah, well, well, you know, most of our most of all of our events have have um, you know some sort of government uh, aid or funding or not. Some some don't. Um, but you know, we th- that that's a big part of the business. And motor GP brings a huge economical impact to, to the events. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, there, there's, there's our, our contracts normally stipulate. Uh, you know uh, some deadlines for all the infrastructure to be laid. Uh, there's also part of you know, things like uh, logistical, you know, airports, um, port, seaports overseas, customs, um, customs, uh, which the promoter must handle. Hospitals. So you know there's there's quite a and, and now also for us as we, we as I was saying, it's not just bringing events now. It's bringing events which are better than the existing ones into the calendar. So we do look a bit about you know we do we do look a lot for the destination what does it bring to our, our industry, industry being, you know, the motorcycle manufacturers, the sport, making it, you know, more and more global. So there's a lot of things that, you know, make, make us want to go to a, to a place and it's quite a significant, you know, decision there. So.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, coming logistics, logistics, one of the most things, I mean, uh, races in Europe can only be held at a certain time, uh, certain, so for example, you know, Finland, whether that happened or not, um, it could only happen in the summer. You couldn't, you know, do, you know, have the first race of the year at the Kinney yeah. Ring because uh, that would be a very different, for, uh, that'd be a very different sort of a race. Um, how, how do you, how do you slot all of that? That's
4: because you've also got not just weather, but also travel. Yes. So um, let's say that we know what events are going to be in the calendar um, for, for for the year that we're designing the calendar for. Um, I, I we start to sort of make a, a, a rough draft of that. Um number one is your contractual obligations, Qatar starting the the, the the calendar and Valencia currently ending. So that's um we also have things like um we try I try to define the first uh, um the weekend of the first event because that helps of course a lot for for the calendar. Um and helps us reserve preseason testing which is not easy because motorsport is growing and growing so yeah. you know circuits are more and more full so um i speak to the f1 and when i know a bit about their calendar and when they'll start we try not to start uh, that weekend although it gets very complicated and then next year specifically uh ramadan starts and we're both f1 and us are both starting in the Middle East, so that's also a challenge now um so when when you know uh when you can start then you go back and you reserve your season tests um for MotoGP uh, next year, as you know, in Sepang and in Qatar, and uh, in Qatar for obvious reasons being logistics, and uh, in Jerez for Um So that's that's where where we start. Then uh, we try to go to, well, we'll probably go, as you know, to, to, to South and North America, not in that particular order, I actually don't know yet. Um, there's Easter there, which is the weekend that we try to avoid. People don't usually watch that much sports, although in some places they do, but. We it's it's quite it's quite you know it's quite challenging there, and then I, I sort of draw draw out a calendar. Um, you know, we have our not to say things could not change, but you know, you, you sort of you you guys work it out yeah, <laughs> more yeah, or less yeah. the dates where you normally have you know Hall in the last week of yeah. June and you know starting at the beginning of May and then after that, so that, that that's that block is kind of consistent. Then um, there's things like. F1 happening in the same event in the same country, um, which we really, really try to avoid, which we do avoid. Um, And then, you know, F1 having now uh, 23 or 24 events uh, uh, and us having 21 events, uh, it's getting very, very complicated. But, you know, you you try your clashes to be as least bad as possible, let's say, from audience point of view, from, you know, local point of view. And then, of course, there's the weather, which I'm personally very, you know, try to respect as much as I can. Um, although, you know, so, sometimes you make quite a big change in the calendar for the weather to be better and then yeah. <laughs> something <laughs> happens and the weather's terrible. Um, but I think, you know, for example, we're lucky this weekend, this year in Portimao that the weather was actually much better than it was last year, a month and a half later. Um, so that, that, was, that was good. Um, and then, like you said, it's very, you know, there's a number of countries where we can only slot... Uh, you know, a couple of months, and that country has F one one month, so we go the other month, um, and that, that it, it leaves. You know, you try to fill in the spaces where there's nothing there. Um, some promoters are very, very adamant that they want one weekend because there's other things happening. Um, so yes, now now you know compared to the job years ago, now it's become you know very funneled. Yeah, so the
2: actually the expanding calendar in both MotoGP and F one is
4: making the job even more comp yes correct and then um you know we, we always try to have a, a, a decent summer break um uh and then you know there's things like for example this year we have a quite quite a strange calendar as, as i'm sure you know, many of the, as, as the fe- everyone viewers, says yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> many of many viewers have uh said and you know last year um you know mugello was very they didn't want to clash with with uh with F1 specifically in Italy, of course, but also in Monaco because it's quite close. Yeah. And we separated Imola F1 from Mugello MotoGP as much as possible. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, Imola didn't happen. Um, and then, well, maybe if we were here that weekend, maybe we would have had a terrible race because of it. You know, so yeah. you never know. But uh, we had a three-week break. Um, Germany was also very hard to reschedule at that time because they would also they had already sold 30,000 tickets. Yeah. Um, this was in September last year, uh, and Holland is, you know, keeps her date. So at the end, we have a three-week break with a three-week, um, you know, triple header after that. So it, it's not ideal, but it's the way that it worked out. Um, and Catalunya asked, you know, because their 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 race, F1, was also pushed forward to, to be at the end in September, which is probably a, not an ideal date for Barcelona, but let's see what happens there next year. So. Um, quite quite a strange calendar this year. Um, you know, actually, people got some time off in May, which is good. Yeah. Looking at the end of the season, and then a very you know because of Qatar not being able to be at the beginning of the season, uh, we're doing that on the way back from 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 uh, Southeast Asia, which from a logistical point of view worked. So then, um, having said that, uh, we you know we, we finish our our European block uh, in Misano uh, halfway through September. And then we have to slot seven, seven overseas races, I think it is, um, before heading it to Valencia. And of course, Valencia is already late yeah. uh, and it's the latest it could be. So if you look at the map and how we travel and where, you know, sort of there's some certain races that you don't want to come in after a consecutive race and some races that you don't want to leave to a consecutive race um, because of just how the logistics are.
2: Because of uh, to basically just freight, just be, being able to get um, freight. Uh, the the your three jumbos, I think, or three three yeah, or four okay. planes from from A to B.
4: Now that you say it, um, and I think it's always interesting. Uh, this year, we've made uh, quite a big job at reducing a lot our volume, um, yeah. uh, specifically, uh, you know, basically being able to transport the same material that we were transporting before much more efficiently in boxes, uh, crates and transport boxes, uh, designed specifically for new aircraft, which is the triple seven, which consumes much less, uh, fuel, which is better. And so we're we're transporting more efficiently. So we are targeting to be transporting one, seven, eight, seven, three, triple sevens, one, seven, eight, seven, because, um, it has a higher main deck. Some of our, anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, those, for example, Thailand, we can't land in, um, we don't land in Buram or, or Argentina. We don't land in, in Termos because of the freight. So it takes quite a while to actually get, you know, yeah. you, you can't land in all the airports uh, with, with these planes. Um, so, yes, we're going, we're going. And then, for example, you have things like India, the first event ever there, which we're very excited about, but we don't want to do that all back to back, you know, so we want some time going into India. So that's why. And then logistically and from an energy point of view, it made a lot of sense to go to India on our way to Japan. Japan has an F1, we, the same promoter has an F1 event the week before, so we couldn't even change that. Uh, but we're actually going to Japan not that late, uh, which I'm always concerned about for the weather. Yeah. We go to Australia reasonably late, which I'm also concerned about because of the weather. Um, and then, you know, we do have our Joker uh, weather races like Thailand, Malaysia, yeah. Indonesia, uh, which we can start more or less anywhere. Uh, and then in Qatar. And so it wasn't an easy calendar last year um, to design. But, you know, we, we hope we get better than that next year. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, this year should be, or next year should be a little bit better because you have Qatar uh, at the start again. And that because I, I understand that Qatar has made things much more, or just much more difficult because they're completely rebuilding rebuilding all of the circuits. Yeah.
4: Um, honestly, at the end, yes, yes. Uh, but, I, I, you know, at the end of, um, it would have meant, you know, maybe starting in Qatar before Portimao. Um, yeah. I've had a... Everybody loved to start back in Europe, but then I think nobody thought that nobody, not a single person, I think, or maybe that wasn't, you know, there's not a scientific reasoning behind it, but having tested there and the track being so fast with all the rubber from yeah. MotoGP and Moto2, Moto3, and the first weekend with the with the 4 right? match and everything, I don't think it was, it wasn't like scientifically a reasoning for there to be, you know, more injuries or anything, but a lot of the riders have spoken to me about start outside because the, the track won't be that grippy, you know, which in another sense, you know, they're always, you know, grip should, some sense, you know, grip is safety, but other other, it's, yeah. yeah. And
2: also it's quite a narrow track and there's, uh, it's not as wide as Qatar for it Qatar is a really, is a really yeah. wide track and just the layout of it, the, the fact that it flows
4: more. I think that a number of things meant that probably to overtake this year in Portimao, you had to take a bigger, a bigger yeah. risk. Basically, and everybody was fast and everybody was super hyped for the first race. Yeah. But anyways, it wasn't, you know, if, if we would have been able to start in Qatar this year, we probably would have started in Qatar, gone to Portimao, and then, you know, it would have shaved off one week off the end. But it wouldn't have, that would have been the difference, not, not much.
2: Two more questions. The first one, what's what's more difficult getting into or getting out?
4: Oh, it's definitely, you know, the setup is always longer. You have customs and everything. So, yeah, getting, getting into, you know, getting into a country, um, definitely harder. One thing that we haven't mentioned about is time difference, and that's a big one. Last year we did Aragon Japan, yeah. and you sort of start off with a seven-hour...
2: Yeah, you lose half a day,
4: basically. But, um, whether you're moving, moving the other way around, like Malaysia Qatar or Qatar Valencia, yeah. that's more, much more you know, achievable.
2: Okay. Finally, how much input do the teams and the riders, I mean, especially the teams, particularly teams, there, oh. and, and find accommodation, rest. How, how much input do they, do they have into the calendar?
4: So, uh, the, the riders have input um, in terms of uh, safety and, you know, of course, weather is not the most predictable thing uh, a year in advance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, but they, we, we again, I, I really try to, for me, the, you know, there's the, the there's the weather part, there's the logistical part, and then there's, the, there's also the commercial, you know, being able to bring as many fans as possible to the circuit that weekend and some weekends are better than others, clearly. Um, so the riders do have that input in terms of the weather and etc. But the, you know, a lot of the times there's there's minimum things we can do already. Um, and then the teams, I you know, I speak a lot to Mike and his feedback from the teams and to, to different team managers around um, if some you know double headers overseas specifically are better than others, uh, movement around Europe and trucks and you know the order where you want to do those to be more efficient. Um, and then there's the whole calendar disclosure issue. And, yes. And hotel reservations. Exactly. And then, you know, people taking... Tell me about it. People taking big bets uh, yeah. uh, on their reservations. And, you know, uh, so back in the day, um, the teams used to get their, their calendar the calendar hours in advance of publication. Mm-hmm. And the sort of things have evolved and you know become bigger. Uh, doesn't happen anymore. And they get it like five minutes before. Mm-hmm. Um if 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 we've managed to keep it secret by then and you know it hasn't leaked uh but yes yeah, so we we i do work uh with ERTO fairly in advance um sort of share some drafts and there's some feedback etc and then um the FIM publishes the Condor officially it is the FIM issues it um but that all happens like sort of in a 15 minute window so the teams get it the FIM publishes it and then Dorno publishes it and that's all in the space of 15 minutes um but yeah a lot of you know there is there is some economical advantage in being able to know the calendar. Um, we Dorna actually uh, doesn't take advantage of that because we know the calendar before anybody does. But, but uh, the people in charge of travel in Dorna always kill me because they get the calendar when everybody else does. Um, uh, so we, we we proudly do not take any advantage of that. Um, but some people do, you know, because of the rumors, etc. They 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 do make some bets and some reservations, and sometimes that that has come back to to bite them when there's been a date change um but as you know you know you have there's some there are some dates that are pretty pretty known to everybody although i must say next year is a leap year and um there is we might be a the whole thing might be a week or one week back or one week front so um i'll have to wait to see also
2: um I mean the the calendar this year probably we'll hear about it in September. Is it gonna be early, late or uh so I expect I would expect to get it at the last race in Europe.
4: I'd 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 hope I'd hope to get it in the last race in Europe and then we always have a very a very fun ERTA committee after that and which you know they do, it's it's testing now because testing in GP classes become, you know, very restricted. Uh but there is always, you know, when we polish the calendar then there's a committee about testing and testing regulation and that one goes on for a while um, because everybody has their own agenda, of course. Uh, but yeah, I hope I hope that halfway through September we'll, uh, we'll have we'll have a conference. right.
2: Well, thank you very much, Carlos. It's been very
4: my pleasure. Dude.
0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast was produced by David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.